This is Shack Talk, presented by Eskimo Ice Fishing Gear and hosted by Kyle Agri and Anthony Kleinwachter. Turn up your speakers, grab your gear, and hit the ice with us as we talk ice fishing. Come on in, grab a bucket. We are talking ice fishing here on Shack Talk Podcast. Kyle Agri and Anthony Kleinwachter as your hosts. And we are very excited for a great podcast today. Thanks for joining us in this segment of Shack Talk Podcast. We're going to dive into our gear and equipment segment. And as we've alluded to on several episodes before, everything is changing between the technology that we use on the ice and everything just continues to get better and better and evolve as the sport grows. And I think probably one of the most changing areas within ice fishing is electronics. Without a doubt. I mean, before, I mean, most of us got into ice fishing, nobody even had electronics through the ice, did they? No, the, your electronics through the ice when I was a kid was the string with the knots in it, right? And you had a you had a a big nut or a washer on the end of it, and you dropped it down, and you counted how many knots were when you when you pulled it back up. I mean, that was that was how you knew how deep it was. And to think about that in perspective to how much has changed in that time time span, and how much it changes now, even faster in a year or two years or three years. And so for this segment, we. We brought in someone that has a lot of information on one of the newest technologies in ice fishing, and that's the Garmin Pan Optics. And so I'd like to welcome Danny Thompson to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. When people hear Pan Optics, what, what is their first kind of assumption with Pan Optics? Well, I mean, Pan Optics, and, and it's really in the scheme of things, right? So you're talking about, you know, sonar when we were younger and that kind of stuff and how you were tying knots in your line, right? So Pan Optics is complete other end of the spectrum. And when people see it and, and kind of, you know, hear that term and come to the booth, and I always like to say, well, what do you know about Pan Optics? And it's, they're just blown away by it, right? Because if you look at where we've come in such a short amount of time, it's so significantly different than what's ever been out there. You know, I mean, when, when Panoptics first came out, I was blown away by it. So we're using it in the boat, and me being a Minnesota guy, I'm like, this is, this is something. I, I can do something with this through the ice. And I'm always trying to find ways to make things a little bit easier when it's that cold out and, you know, when you're ice fishing. So I literally took a hockey stick. I mounted a Panoptics transducer to it. And back then, the transducers were big, you know. And I've got a milk crate filled with batteries and all these cords and all this stuff we had to do to make it work. And we're out on Mille Lacs Lake on the mud flat. I can remember exactly where we were. And I was with a friend of mine. He's fishing with a flasher. And he's jigging away and jigging away. And I'm like, watch. I go, here comes a fish. Like, I, I can see a fish coming. Here it comes. You know, he's 100 feet, 80 feet, 60 feet. I'm like, get ready. Here he comes. Here he comes. And he's like, well, I don't see nothing. You're full of crap. I don't see nothing, you know. And the fish comes in. He goes, oh, there it is. I go, nope, he passed you. The fish, fish kept going. I said, jig, jig, jig. Fish turned around, come back. And I watched him catch this walleye from about 40 feet away. And I was like, okay, we got to do something with this. You know, we can't just keep it on a hockey stick and, and with these big units. And so I paired with an engineer that we have down in Kansas um, that kind of had a passion for ice fishing despite living in Kansas. And, you know, we kind of came up with the bundle. And it just it it's, just keeps evolving every single year. And that's the really cool thing with Garmin, you know, is they're an engineering company. They, they engineer good quality products. And so with Panoptics, you know, 
He put his his mind to it and said, "We're gonna come out with a cool ice fishing kit," and that's when the Panoptics bundle came. That's amazing. So maybe for the listener that hasn't seen Panoptics, if, if you, there are any, if you if you <laughs> haven't, you need to go look for it and go see some of the demos that are online and available. But maybe just kind of explain the difference between the traditional 2D or yeah. down sonar to what actually Panoptics technology is. Yep. So in the past, you know, with a normal flasher, right? And and there's a lot of companies out there that have a flasher, and you've got like a teardrop type transducer you have in the water, and you're sending a pulse down. Just just like in the summertime when you're getting your 2D, that's how we're doing it in the winter. We're sending a pulse down. We're getting a reading. It's coming back and putting it on the screen for us. Um, with Panoptics, what it actually is is like a multi-phase array. So it's radar, essentially, is what it is. And we're shooting these beams really, really fast, and we're getting a live image of what's you know below and around you at on, under the ice, basically. And so... You know, it's just like watching a radar. You, you can track the fish as they come in and go. You can see your baits, everything, and it's live time, but it's a real wide cone angle. So when we're in the down mode, we're at 100 degrees with traditional pan optics. And your normal teardrop flasher transducer might be 7 to 24 degrees, something like that. So the amount of water that you can see and cover is significantly more, as well as it's live time. So you see the fish moving around versus just seeing like a line on a graph. Um, so that's kind of the big difference. And then, of course, you can take the panoptics and you can put it in forward. Well, now we're looking out. And with panoptics in the deep water, we were able to see up to even 100, 200 feet away and see, you know, crappies, especially because they're up high and suspended um, at great distances with it. You know, so many times, Danny, as, uh, as technology has evolved, you hear the industry say that's almost like cheating. Yeah. That's just not fair. And then, of course, everybody else ad adapts and adopts to the technology and really embraces it. I'm seeing the same thing with this because, I mean, it really is a game changer being mm -hmm. such a different a different view of what's under the ice and for an ice angler, right? That That's the number one thing that we always strive to be able to do. It's how do you see what's beneath our feet and, and around us under the water? And that's a funny thing. I think, you know, when, the, when Panoptics first came out, and I remember being at some of the ice shows and people like, well, it's, it's, it's like too good to be true. Like it, like it can't work, you know. You, you, we're, we're used to using a flasher, and all of a sudden I have this unit where I can see so far in live time, and then we've got maps on it, and it's something you can use in the summer. And it's just, it was almost like people looked at it and like, well, it's cool, but it's almost too good to be true, you know, and, and it is, it's just, it's on such a different level that it's almost, it seems like it's a lot to almost take in at first, but it's actually easy to use too. So I think, you know, now we're what, three, four years into this live or pan optics and now live scope. And it's just, it's like, people are finally seeing, wow, this really works, you know? So just, just one more quick question from, from my perspective, you just mentioned live scope. Yeah. So, so tell our listeners just a little bit, because there's a lot of chatter about both, but the differences between the panoptics that you've described and the live scope. Yeah, so panoptics was our original, you know, live sonar that we had. So then it would have been two years ago at ICAST, we came out with what we call live scope. And live scope is really, you know, beyond ice fishing. I mean, into the crappie, the bass, even the offshore market has really kind of completely changed the way that sonar, I think, is going to be into the future. And, and not just for Garmin. I, I think it's really the way of the future. And what it is, is it's like panoptics where it's live, but we're actually getting those images from like down imaging. So now 
where before we'd get like a radar view and you'd see a blob or something like that coming in with live scope. I mean, I've seen the mouth on a fish open and close and bite a bait, you know, and it's just, it's, it's so clear and the target separation is so much better. And that it was like, well, panoptics is good. And now live scope is just so much better. And I mean, especially, you know, out here in the Dakotas where people are looking for perch on bottom and that kind of stuff, live scope is unbelievable. It just, it takes it to the next level as far as clarity and separation. I know the very first time that I got to experience both panoptics and live scope. It was one of those things, like you said, that it's almost too good to be true. We went to a spot and we drilled two holes and we knew it was a kind of a, a bowl or a basin. We were looking for suspended panfish and we drilled it. We scanned around and it was, I think, 80 feet. We seen a school or some markings of fish. And so you kind of walked off, paced it off to 80 feet and you drilled a hole and you seen where the auger went down yep. on the top of the screen and you knew they were above the fish and then you put the transducer down in that hole and you could see the school of fish. It was almost mind-boggling how that technology changed the game. Yeah. You know, and, and the other thing that has really kind of started to come to be with this ice fishing stuff too is so all the hardcore guys, that they're out there on the ice and they're punching holes and they're running around like – they were the first ones to kind of jump on this, right? But, you know, now, you know, the snow bear customer, I mean, I think every snow bear goes out with a live scope in it. And now the ice castle guys. And so, you know, like me, I'll take my kids out fishing. I've got a unit mounted to the wall of the fish house. I run an HDMI cable from that to my TV. So I've got two big screens, a live scope, and I have absolutely nothing on the floor. You know, so I think just the future of what more is going to come from this, especially in ice fishing, because ice fishermen are so good at adapting and, you know, kind of creating and very got a lot of ingenuity into the things that they do. And so I'm excited to see, you know, what this is going to look like in two years, five years, you know. And I know you hit on it a little bit, too, but. This isn't just limited to ice fishing. And I think that's probably the biggest selling point to a consumer is that you're not limited to a three to four to five month window. Yeah, I make this joke all the time. But, you know, I'm at sports shows all year long selling this stuff, right? And it's funny because a husband and a wife will walk up and they're kind of looking at at the unit and, well, what does it do? And and then you tell them the price and like, oh my gosh, okay, my wife's never going to let me have this. But the wife kind of always realizes it. They're the first one to realize that, you know what? So you just, it's a quick release bracket. You take the head unit out and you put it into your boat and it's a no brainer. I mean, like the live scope comes with an Echo Map 93. That's my number one selling summer unit. So now you've got the best of the best for ice fishing and you've got my best selling summer unit. I mean, you're using this thing year round and that's just something that wasn't really the case in the past either. So, you know, I mean, it just has so much versatility to what you can do with it and how you can use it. And I think even just the fact that people maybe not may not be aware yet too is these units do come with mapping. It's not just the sonar technology that you're buying as well. Yep. Yeah. And in you know, I mean, there's so many uses. I had a, another one today where um, search and rescue. You know, you think about like divers and stuff like that, and finding maybe a car that went through. I mean, think of the amount of time you can cut down to find something under the ice 
with live scope, you know, or if you're, you're in some of these rivers and even let's say Lake of the Woods, that water's pretty dark. You can't see, I mean, the diver can't see more than where they can put their hand out and live scope. I mean, has been selling tremendously for that. I think there's just so many uses for it. And it's really going to be interesting where the marine electronics industry starts to go. Danny, what's the number one question you get from consumers at a, at a sporting goods or an ice show? What's the number one question about pan optics other than what is it? Yeah. You know, the funny thing, here, here's the thing. There's, it's a changing world as far as sports shows go right now, in my opinion. And, and in the past, when we work sports shows, they come and they want to know, okay, what is it? What's the latest, greatest? Now they come to me and they say, where do I buy it? Because like, there's so many, you know, you got podcasts, you've got YouTube, you've got TV shows, you got Facebook. So a lot of people have that information now. So it's kind of interesting to see that turn too. But this year, I'd say probably the biggest question is, well, what's the difference between the panoptics and the live scope? And then quite honestly, it's just, I mean, where do I buy it? It's one of those things, once you see it, you're sold. You know what I mean? There's not much more I can show them in the booth that they don't even already know at this point. So, um, you know, that that part's been good for sure, you know, as far as moving the products. What about this, Danny? If I, I know we've got listeners who have this in their arsenal already, right? Yeah. It has been a lot of them going out the door, and, and you go to any sporting goods re- retailer, and you see these units prominently displayed because consumers want to find them. Yep. So for those who own the unit already, give us a tip how to get the most out of your panoptics or your live scope. What's what's a good tip? Yes. So pick? this is extremely important in my opinion, right? And so I don't care if you have a panoptics or you have a live scope. People will come to me and they'll say, how, how do I best utilize this? So it's, I'm seeing stuff, but I feel like I could see stuff a little bit better. So the biggest tip that I have is when you're on your pan optics or you're on your live scope screen, there's something under appearance in the menu called color gain. We're going to run that color gain all the way up, 100%, which seems crazy, but you're going to run it all the way up at 100%, and then you're going to come back to your regular gain, and you're going to run that anywhere in the 60s. Other than that, Everything else is auto settings and is really easy. But if you turn that color gain up, what you're doing is you're making all the targets, the fish and the trees or the rocks more reflective. So they stick out a lot better. And then I'm able to come into the normal gain and run it a little bit lower. So I have more leeway there. And I mean, as far as live scope goes, I mean, stuff pops out so well when you do that. I mean, little perch crews in the bottom and stuff like that. It's It really does a number on the live scope, especially. So that's really the, the biggest tip that I have on, on those for sure. As far as these units are concerned, I know a lot of people think of this new technology and along with any of the new um, sonar and electronics that are being battery powered, what uh, what can a consumer that maybe doesn't have one of these know or maybe somebody that's bought one to best utilize their electronics to maybe be able to use it all day long or go you know more than a day or anything like that? Any tips for those? Yeah, so it's, you know, it's, it's all electronics, right? So same as your cell phone. You run that backlight at 50%, which we can easily do in the ice fishing and the open water market and that kind of stuff where it's a little bit cloudier that day or you're in a fish house, you can bring your backlight down a little bit. When you do that, I mean, your battery life increases a lot. 
The other thing is, is there's a lot of great lithium battery companies out there. So if you look at the ice fishing market here over the last, what, three years, there's all kinds of great companies out there selling lithium batteries. They're a lot lighter. They have a better runtime, and they're actually better for the electronics in as well because it's a more um, consistent or reliable power source. And so those lithium batteries, I mean, I'm sure there's probably one that sells with every live scope bundle just to make them a little lighter, you know. And so that's really probably the best thing to look into is a good lithium battery. And the thing with those, you know, talking to the lithium battery guys is you really have to make sure you run the charger that they recommend with those batteries. That's, you know, otherwise you cut the life of those batteries down significantly. I think that's really good advice. And for anyone that looks at the the panoptics or the live scope and sees that price tag, you're really buying a year-round unit. And I know most of us that own boats wouldn't think twice about paying a price tag for a new sonar unit in our boat. And I mean, that's really what you're buying. Plus you're buying an ice unit. Yes, there's some different transducers and things, but Danny, I really think that this was a great segment. I think that as a listener, I think a lot of information was shared that can be very useful. And for those that maybe don't know a lot about panoptics can, can get more information. But if anybody has any questions or needs more resources, is there a way that they can get a hold of you or your team to get that information? Yeah, so Garmin's a really good company as far as customer service. You know, we're located in Kansas City. And so anytime you need help on the Garmin's, you definitely can get a hold of our customer support line. They've got guys that are trained specifically in the marine stuff or every category for that matter that we're in and can definitely help you out, out with that. I'm at a lot of sports shows all the time. I always encourage people, if you're having a problem with it, bring it to the sports show and, you know, we can take a look at it. And the other cool thing is we've got so many good retailers now. I, I don't, I don't, I do not care where you shop. They have all gone through some good training and have good guys that know the stuff. And, um, you know, there's, there's just a lot of good guys out there that can help you with that stuff for sure. So awesome. Well, Danny, I, Really appreciate you joining us on Shack Talk Podcast. I think as a a listener and a consumer, everybody can learn a little bit. And I know I'm just itching to get out on the ice with my panoptics and utilize it some more and and take some of these tips. But um, I want you all to make sure to stick around. We're going to be back with another segment of uh, the podcast here shortly, and we'll be right back. This segment on the podcast here, we're going to be joined by one of our Eskimo staffers, Josh Clausen. He lives down in Wisconsin, and one of his big passions in the wintertime is chasing big trout through the ice. Josh, welcome to Shack Talk. Thanks for having me, guys. Pleasure to be here. So one of the things that we wanted to kind of dive into, and it's something that neither Kyle or myself has experienced, and I think a lot of the listeners out there may be seeing more kind of more coverage of this approach to fishing and destination for fishing. And so we thought this would be a really great segment for our destination podcast is Lake Michigan and the harbors that you can access and be able to target these species through the ice. What would be kind of the time frame for this and you know is this something that anybody can do yeah for the most part i mean what's really unique about fishing the harbors in lake michigan or at least the wisconsin side the eastern shore of wisconsin 
in the various harbors that are up and down the coastline of Lake Michigan is you're traveling to the more populated areas. Generally, when you're thinking fishing, you're getting away from everyone. This is the exact opposite. You're downtown Milwaukee, you're downtown Sheboygan, you're downtown in Racine, um, hitting these different harbors, even further south to Kenosha. Um, but it's, it's an, it's an opportunity to catch some of the largest brown trout and some very large rainbow trout as well, um, through the ice, but the, literally it's the largest brown trout in the world. And you have the opportunity to tangle with those on ice gear, which is something that's very cool. And as far as time frame, I know it really fluctuates in those harbors as far as ice conditions, um, whether you're getting the cold weather, and I'm sure it has a lot to do with... Yeah, ice conditions can really vary in those harbors. Um, generally, it doesn't really start until January, mid-January, and it all depends year to year, the different uh, weather patterns that you see. But being that Lake Michigan is such a large lake, it takes a long time for that lake to cool off. I just checked the temperature um, in Milwaukee this morning, and I think it was mid 30s um getting close to 40 degrees and here in fargo north dakota we were two or three below zero so it's a little bit different than your your upper end of the ice belt but it does generally freeze um there are some safety issues to watch out for in those harbors they have some have aerators in them to keep the water moving uh, if they've got boat docks or anything like that as well as um, just the, the fluctuation of the lake. If you get a strong wind coming in, that's a lot of water moving in and it almost acts like small tides to where you can watch that whole ice sheet lift up and then drop again throughout the day. It's, um, it's a little interesting. Josh, that's, is, um, it's fascinating to me to think that you're fishing in a Harbor. So essentially this is a, a man-made portion of a body of water. It might've been dredged out, likely dredged out just because they're using it for boat traffic most of the year. And are you like literally out there between the docks, between the the, the pilings and, and whatnot and, and fishing those areas? Yeah, absolutely. I've seen guys set up their automatic fishermen right on a dock, literally set the auto on the dock and have a hole drilled right beside the dock. Um, it's, inter- it's, it's completely different than anything Northwoods style fishing that most of us do um, across North Dakota, Minnesota and upper Wisconsin. But if you get out into those harbors, absolutely man-made, you're parking in a big parking lot um you're downtown you walk out on the ice and it's your i mean you can throw a rock at your car um from where you're fishing so it's a very short walk out um but there is kind of some unique equipment that you generally utilize out there but it's 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 an interesting way to fish or it's just an interesting you want to call it a destination or location um a few different elements than you're usually used to when you're out on the ice and we'll dive into the techniques and stuff more but one thing that kind of caught me was you mentioned being able to monitor the water temperatures is there specific resources that you would guide people to to maybe you know watch those conditions or you know keep updated on ice conditions is there good resources for people to to utilize um as far as ice conditions there's a couple uh, internet forums out there that are still going strong in wisconsin um lake link is one that gets a lot of traffic on it uh and you got to remember you're in kind of metropolitan areas and you can find some traffic cameras out there on some of the different websites that you can see some of the harbors to see where people are at uh, as well as if there's if there's ice out there but as far as an actual resource i mean you can monitor the river flows um most of the harbors are on some river coming out or going into lake michigan and you can check those river flows cfs rates if that river comes up quite a bit it's probably not going to be safe ice if we get a mid- midwinter thaw um, big push. Um, but 
as far as like a real reliable resource that you could check and then say, yep, I'm going fishing today. I mean, it's, it's ice fishing and these are some pretty unstable ice conditions and don't expect it to be safe every time you go out. I mean, be prepared to have a backup plan for sure. And to me, this sounds like something where you're always going to be wanting to be prepared with your safety equipment, you know, having your ice picks, having the necessary tools, the float suits, everything that we, you know, maybe take for granted just during the early ice portion um, in the northern part of the ice belt, but definitely something you want to have year round. Oh, far more important than where I'm, I mean, I'm originally from North Dakota and the ice that we get in November is the ice we're walking on in April or May. To where down here that ice can come in and be in for a week and then gone again and come back. So it's uh, it's definitely a different ball game than what I grew up fishing and what I'm used to. But um, and again the aerators in those harbors. If you're not familiar with the layout of where all of those currents are fluctuating underneath that sheet of ice, um, go with someone who knows the area or at least has some experience. I wouldn't say. Just check the ice. I mean, you can get out there and kind of see where people have been walking and everything, but again, no ice is safe ice, and that's even more apparent where we've got these aerators in the harbors. So, Josh, just as a – what interests me is is the fish behavior and the fish patterns. Are these brown trout in the harbors year-round, or is this just something where they migrate in during the winter months when the, when the water is cooler? So there's kind of a combination there. There's, there's four or five different strains of rainbow trout – um, one of those strains is an Arley um, that they brought in that relates to shoreline structure, and they, they stock that fish to be a resource for shoreline anglers, which um, that's probably the most common rainbow or steelhead that we get through the ice is that Arley strain. Um, but again, we've got fish moving into the river system, steelhead in more particular migratory rainbow trout. Um, they spawn uh, starting in February and then through April, March time frame to where they're entering that river system in preparation for spawning throughout the winter months. Some actually enter the rivers in the fall, but it's those fish that are transitioning in and out. Now that's for the rainbow trout. The browns, um, at least as far as I know, still relate somewhat to that shoreline structure, but they're also there to gorge on some of the salmon and steelhead eggs that have dropped throughout the fall spawning period. Um, So there is a food source there. And then also being a predatory fish, there's bait fish that relate to that shoreline structure that bring them in as well. Okay, so that that brings me to my next question, right? And you just, the key there is they're there for food, right? Or reproduction. Yeah. And, and so that's that makes perfect sense to anybody who fishes. What kind of baits are you using to, to trigger these fish um, to... to you know, to catch them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's definitely a little different. Uh, we're using actual roe or eggs from uh, either brown trout or steelhead generally in the harbors. Um, the salmon eggs are more so in the river system early fall, October, and then they're pretty much done by November. And then the browns will come in and spawn. And you may think it's odd that, you know, we're going to catch a brown trout on brown trout eggs. Why would they eat that? Um, it's more so not that they're trying to eat it. Uh, they're trying to kill someone else's offspring. So they're just crushing them um, as, instead of actually ingesting them. And then uh, shiners, the other bait fish species um, that are prevalent in the Great Lakes as well. Uh, generally, you'll catch more browns on shiners than you will rainbows, and you'll catch more rainbows on the spawn sacks. And when you talk about you know using the eggs or the roe, I mean, it's not like just a single egg you're putting on there there's a process to to prepare yeah, absolutely the bait. and and 
the best bait is always the freshest bait. Um, it's something to do with the scent of the amniotic fluid actually in the eggs. And if you can't get fresh and if you've got bait that's coming from the fall, um, you want to cure it or at least package it kind of individual day size portions and freeze it, um, vacuum pack it and freeze it. So you got no air in there getting them freezer burnt, but you take the eggs and it, it you vary on the size. And when I say spawn sack, you take a, a nylon mesh netting and put, it depends on the species. They each have different size of eggs, but it can be anywhere from five to 30 eggs in a spawn sack. And generally we're referring to them as like a dime size diameter, nickel size, quarter size. And that can change on weather conditions as well. Just like fishing, if you're upsizing or downsizing because of a cold front or a warm front coming through, um, these fish relate in much the same way. So it's, it helps to have a variety of different sizes as well as colors um, of that mesh netting that you make those spawn sacks out of. So I'm, ass- I'm assuming most locals, they're going to catch, they catch their own fish and they save the, the egg sack, the, the roe, and, and use that for their own bait. But folks who are coming from really anywhere outside of that area, mm-hmm. that's a pretty location-specific technique. Um, can they just buy that at a bait store? Guides are going to have it. There are a handful of bait shops around, and it is something that you'll see. Uh, the closer you get to the, the actual lake itself or some of the tributaries, the bait shops will stock um, spawn sacks. Uh, again, and those, those are going to be, for the most part, cured. Um, and you can find some information on the forums as to who's got the best bait out there. So it really gets into what, what they use to cure it, if they have any additives in there or if they're 100% fresh and just frozen. And there's some guys that... Um, really get into the ins and outs of what you do with those eggs. Um, what I've found to be most successful is no cure, freshest eggs you can get. And that might be a female fish that you just caught that was had loose eggs and was leaking eggs, and you actually squeeze a few eggs out of her and let her go and then tie up some fresh spawn sacks right there. That's interesting because in my mind I was picturing the fact that you'd have to harvest that fish to take the eggs, but, but the way you just described it, I mean, that's going to work equally as well plus you're able to release the fish and there that is one thing to take into consideration there if you do squeeze eggs out of a fish like that it does count to one of your fish in your limit um, really if you release them because you're taking some portion of that fish interesting that's very interesting a little different but yeah so when you talk about the trout and the different species i mean a lot of people when they hear trout they're thinking stock pond little trout fly fishing small trout in a stream I mean, these are pretty pretty they're, unique fish and can be very, very sizable. Yeah, they're big boys. Um, six to 15 pounds is not uncommon, and some of those browns are pushing upper 20s as well. I mean, they're, they're not small fish, and you're fighting them through an 8-inch or a 10-inch hole on a you know, 28 to 36, 40-inch rod, and it, it can be quite a bit of fun. When you're tangling with these big fish then, and we get into kind of some of the gear that you're using, is there a specific rod setup? I know you mentioned the automatic fisherman, and I know that's probably one of the most prevalent techniques for for catching and targeting these fish. How would you advise somebody that's looking to maybe get a setup to go after these fish? Yeah, absolutely. So in Wisconsin, you can run three lines. Um, And there's, there's a hand, well, there's really only three different, hook setting devices out there that a lot of the guys use. And you set them up like tip-ups. Um, essentially what you're doing is you're taking a rod and you're loading the rod. And then, so the rod is bent over and then there's a trigger mechanism that you hook either the rod tip or the, the first guide on the rod on, on the automatic fisherman or um, a small nylon loop that you attach to that rod tip guide um, on the jaw jacker. And 
it, it's it's a trap. So once that fish takes, and earlier I said that they crush the bait, so they don't. Not all of them will actually ingest those spawn sacks. They just crush it. So if you're running a tip up or a bobber, and they come up and they crush it and spit it out and swim away, if you're not there, like on point to set the hook as soon as there's any type of movement on that bait, um, you're not going to hook that fish. So what these hook set devices do is it allows the rod to be under load, and once that any movement on that bait, that hook is being set, and you you very much minimize any fatal hookups. Um, you're catching them just in the lips just the outside not the outside but just on the inside portion of the mouth uh, as far as rods um generally we're running six to eight pound fluorocarbon uh the water is very clear there these fish have been fished for many years um they're they're not they're not dumb <laughs> um you do need to pay attention to how you're rigging how you're hooking your your spawn sacks um even hooking your shiners the size of hooks you use and then the line that you're using now, with that, using such a light line, and this is something that kind of comes into play in open water fishing for these same fish, and they're in the tributaries, is we're still running six-pound test line to catch, you know, a 15, potential 20, 22-pound fish. Um, but you're using a longer rod than you generally would. Um, I like a 38-inch uh, medium or medium light. And that longer rod needs to have some backbone, but it also needs to have a, a little bit softer tip on it to soak up a lot of those head shakes. And these fights aren't... Uh, a, one to two minute deal it's i mean it's minutes at the hole um, especially the steelhead they'll go on some burning runs multiple times and it's it's uh, it can be kind of fisticuffs at the hole trying to get these things through the ice and i think anybody that's uh, watched any of the videos that have recently come out targeting these fish knows that you know it's a very very much a rodeo at the hole and and they make some very technique specific rods for keeping these fish pinned and giving you the most advantage that you can to land these fish um, any other kind of advice for someone that's maybe going out to try this for the first time um, what would be kind of your one thing to maybe give them a piece of advice just as far as advice um Definitely go with someone who's gone out there before your first time to kind of learn the ropes. Uh, it's it's a different style of fishing. You use a little bit different equipment. You're in very odd scenarios as far as where you're at the location-wise. Um, but once you hook up, it's there's no other fish other than maybe lake trout. Um, but, again, you're in kind of tight quarters, shallower water. So, yeah, you know, I am thinking about everything you've described and, and just the location, the proximity to some of the bigger cities. This sounds like an awesome trip to someone who has a, maybe they've got a business meeting out there and in one of those locations, they've got a, they got a reason they have to be there for work um, time of day. Like, could they, could you schedule a morning or a evening? What, what, how does that fit in? I mean, play? it's it's like any fishing. Generally, the morning and the evening, those daylight transition periods are going to be a little bit better. But these fish get caught all day long. Um, yeah, if you were okay. in the area and wanted to, didn't have all the equipment, there's a lot of guides out there as well. Um, you could hire a guide and go out for a half day, um, and just do a Google search on Lake Michigan ice fishing guides, and you'll get a list of them. And it depends on your location where the guides are each situated out of. That's perfect. That's good advice. I think really anywhere you might tend to, to want to take a trip or or be doing some other things, whether it's family, whether it's work related, and and squeeze a, a trip in. You know, just uh, the use of a guide and finding a good guide who's knowledgeable, you can learn so much and make that limited time frame uh, a lot more productive and a Absolutely. lot more 
a lot more fun. We have got, you know, before we, we wrap this up, we got to, I'm, I'm just imagining that our listeners are, are listening to this saying, I know that voice. Oh, right. <laughs> I know that voice. And for folks that are fans of Fish Addictions TV, you're, you're part of that group, Josh, and you are also... Um, what would be the, what would be the official term for your title? You do the introduction. You narrate the introduction to the yeah, show. Yeah, I do the I do the voiceover for the intro of the show. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah well, that's really cool. And and yeah. I've got to believe folks are sitting here thinking, <laughs> is that him? Is that not? But yes, it definitely is. And I know you are are active on social media. You're you're out there. Yep. You've if folks wanna, I mean, someone that's on the opposite end of the the ice, the ice belt, the ice region. They want to plan a trip, and they know they're coming out in your direction. Uh, yeah, I'm certain that you'd be willing to answer some questions oh, and point them in the right direction. Um, yeah, and I, I'm not so much on Facebook as much anymore, but more so on Instagram. And I do, so I live very close to the Driftless region of Wisconsin, and I do a lot of open water fly fishing. I know we're talking ice fishing here, but um, my handle is Saturdays in the Driftless um, on Instagram. Hit me up there, um, and I'll definitely respond to any inquiries. That is perfect. Josh, thank you for coming in, spending a little time and talking a little bit of fishing from your part of the world. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. It's a pleasure. Stick around, folks. We've got more Shack Talk ahead, and we will be right back. And welcome back to our third and final segment of Shack Talk. You know, this is the the fun part of the show where Anthony and I get to visit. And and quite frankly, we get to do a lot of listening in this one and, and just hear about why folks are so driven by the outdoors and how that really drives their lifestyle uh, individually as their family in whatever aspects that they engage in the outdoors with. We are, are very excited to welcome on, on this podcast episode, uh, Kirsten Olson. And, and Kirsten, welcome to Shack Talk. Thanks so much. It's great having you, and it's great having the perspective that you bring to, to this topic and this discussion for our podcast. Um, obviously, you're, you're a female who's involved in the outdoors. You have a great family aspect of of the outdoors and, and how you interact with it and how it's part of your lifestyle. And, and I'm just excited to hear about kind of, you know, what, what that looks like and sharing that with our listeners and, and where this all began. So Kirsten, share, just share with the listeners of Shack Talk a little bit about where you got your start in the outdoors. Like where, where did that major influence come, whether it be as an adult or as a child or, or kind of what did that look like? Sure thing. Um, I did not grow up in a household that was outside hardly at all. Um, I grew up wanting to do everything I do now. So I grew up in Minneapolis and went to college in St. Paul and met a guy, fell in love, got married, and we love to fish. I mean, that's just our life in our house. And ice fishing is probably at the top of the pile for me. There is nothing better than catching late ice pike where I'm at right now. And um, I can't wait for March. That's, that that does sound like a lot of fun and and uh, yep. uh, without any doubt and just just share with our listeners, Kirsten, where where you live, where your family lives, and and just kind of that connection to to fishing in the outdoors. Sure, we live in Washburn, North Dakota now. Um, 
and it's a perfect spot to go fish. I mean, every day of the year, we can go someplace close to fish. We don't have to go two and a half hours to Devil's Lake or go to Minnesota to fish. I can have the boat in the Missouri River in five minutes if I want to, or we can drive 20 minutes to Lake Sakakawea and put the ice house up and look for something up there. Um, my sons own a fishing tackle business and we all love to be involved with it. So we kind of sleep, eat, breathe, and dream about it. Kirsten. So it's a good thing. So it's a good thing. I like to fish. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of families that fish. I try to get my kids involved and I'm sure we have listeners with families. Any advice for them on, you know, you came from a background that didn't fish. Any advice for them on, you know, getting their family involved in the outdoors? Any any tidbits that you could share? Boy, that's a great question. I would say number one, don't be afraid to do it. Um, don't sit at home and pout and wonder, I wonder if I'd like it I wonder if I'd like to go fishing with my husband or or the guys or whoever, just because you're a mom at home with little kids. I I have taken infants ice fishing in the ice house. It's a little bit exciting when they get to be a toddler, but it didn't slow me down at all. It just made it more fun. Yeah, I've got a I've got a four year old, so I know all about avoiding ice <laughs> holes and keeping their feet out of the hole. And you you. Yep undoubtedly going to end a trip with a, a boot in the hole and pouring it out. That was For one sure. of my, one of my daughter's first memories, but no, I, I really appreciate the insight. I think that's great for our listeners and, you know, just do it. I mean, don't think about doing it. Don't, you know, regret not doing it. Take the opportunity. My biggest advice to people is always, you know, try and plan when the weather's going to be a little bit nicer. I mean, we're in the winter and it's pretty unpredictable, but if you see a nice weekend coming up, just, Try and get out for a little bit of time. It's not about how long you're out there, but, you know, just getting out there. And I think that little bit of spark helps a a long way with introducing kids or new people into the outdoors. For sure. Any any advice or maybe tell us a little bit about how you introduced your kids to ice fishing. What was, what was that like? Any, any great memories there when you were introducing them to, to the outdoors and ice fishing? Boy, I think the funnest, thing for me as a mom with three sons and a husband for a long time all we had was boy stuff to do and then we had a girl at the end and I think the best memory for me is the fact that my daughter at five caught a 44 inch pike through the ice and she was only 46 inches tall I think and she still has the biggest fish in the house that's that's an awesome story it's possible, you know, girls can catch more fish. And my husband will tell you right away, it's, you can't forget about the guide. But I don't know. I Yeah, I'm not one I to, catch fish. to put much input in there. My wife has a, a bigger <laughs> pike on the wall than I do. So, uh, yep. you know, I, w- I was there for the assist for sure. But uh, it's definitely she claims it as her fish. So I know all, all I know that all too well. Yep. Kirsten, um you, you, you've talked about your your kids and their involvement. You mean mention that that your sons own a tackle company. What has that done for your family? Um, give them a plug. That I have had the privilege of getting to know you and your family here over the last uh, several years, and and I think it's a pretty special story when you look at the the lessons that those boys are learning 
um, from starting this this little business and having it grow into something that's that's legitimate and viable. Boy, yeah, it's a great story, and I love telling it. My uh, my in two thousand five, my husband was injured as a volunteer firefighter, and we lost everything. We had no ability to buy hunting, fishing, camping, anything, let alone pay our normal bills. And my guys kind of put their heads together and said, okay, if you want to learn how to fish and hunt and everything else, you got to earn it. And Missouri Secrets Tackle was born from a need, and it's kind of gotten a little big. I think that's a fair statement. I mean, we're not we're not Bass Pro Shops or Cabela's or any of those big guys yet, but you know what? It's really fun. And at eight and 10, my two got my two boys at the time busted their butts and pumped out a few little rigs thinking they'd make a couple hundred bucks. And now they're, well, there's three boys now they're 15, 17 and 19. And all of us are involved in it. And I think helping kids learn that they can do things like start a business has been the smartest thing we ever did. I mean, I don't know how my kids would be if they hadn't learned about the simple things that all of us as adults know, just, you know, silly things, not silly things, things like you got to pay taxes when you earn money. (laughs) You know, you learn that pretty darn quick when you're 10 and they have a very good appreciation for really working hard and stepping out a little out of your comfort zone and talking to people you may not know and then building relationships too. You learn so much as a kid, well, shoot, as an adult, as the mom. I've learned so much how to communicate with people. Just watching my my own children have to talk to people to sell their product. And your kids end up just so much fun. I I wouldn't trade it. It was it started hard and now we're at a point where it is so much fun to watch success. And, and it, it will it can only get better. It has been a story of success and all wrapped up, you know, all of those life lessons you just described and those are lessons that as parents we all strive to to teach to our children as they grow up and be, and become young adults. But you did it in a way that was wrapped up in the outdoors, in fishing, and something that so many of us love so much. And and you've been able to teach those lessons while those kids have a smile on their face and while they're enjoying what they're doing and while they're making a little money. It's just a wonderful story. And and I appreciate you sharing that. And, and uh, you know, you, you said it. It's Missouri Secrets Tackle. These uh, these kids own and run this business. And, and I should you should be real cautious calling them kids because they're, they're turning into young adults and, and uh, they're not necessarily little kids anymore, but they do a fantastic job. Um, Just looking at, at kind of who your influences were in the outdoors um, Mm -hmm. directly in your family, because I know that's going to be part of it, but also uh, have there been other folks that have influenced your, your passion for the outdoors? Well, that's a good question. Honestly, I really don't know because we're so <laughs> we're so wrapped up in family that I mean, I've learned everything I know about fishing and everything in the outdoors from my husband, really, and probably my father-in-law. I would say too because they were always outside; they were up to their eyeballs and scouts, as my husband was as kid as a kid. And um, I learned the hunting, fishing, camping stuff from just being with them. So I don't. <sighs> 
No, that's all right. That's not a wrong question. answer at all. That in fact, right. that's a you great know, answer. It, I mean, I love. Don't get me wrong. I love following people, the cool people that you know. People know that the Eva Shockey type people, and I'm I, I'm at a loss as far as fishing, but I know so many women that fish, and it's just fun. It's fun to see women succeed in that. And I, I don't w- know. I'm not. I'm not real starstruck. If that helps. No, that. Kirsten, that, those are perfect answers. I, I think, <laughs> I think, our listeners as well as Anthony and I appreciate the 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 kind of the honest answer to it and and just being frank mm-hmm. with what it is and and that's what makes yep. this segment of the podcast so I, I think so intriguing is just hearing people's perspectives on on sure. how their story and passion came to be and where they're taking it and where they're going with it and. And speaking yeah. of that, where where do you see the future here? As your as your family, as your kids uh, um, are starting to get to that point where they're 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 going to be on their own and and pursuing their own careers and their own lives. Uh, where where do you see the outdoors playing a role in in your family going forward? I can't wait to have grandkids to teach them to be outside. I think that is just funner than fun, and it's 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 way out on the horizon. But it really kind of isn't. I mean, my oldest one's 19. He's going to school to be a teacher. And I've got another one that's almost 18. And, man, that's that's a dose of reality when, you know, all I did for so long was ch- chase toddlers and change diapers. And I'm like, I'm not doing that anymore. I've got one kid that uh, our daughter actually is really interested in looking into military. And she's only 13. But, boy, she's got her... She's got that as the end goal right now, and it might change. She might change her mind, and you know, 87 different times between now and then. But who knows? I, the outdoors is always going to be part of us. I mean, part of who we are is, and how we grow as a family is being outside and being in the boat and being able to look back and go, man, remember when we got so sunburned that one time in the boat, and we still had fun doing it. You know, those those are great stories, and. Uh... Being in that position myself, Kirsten, I know we've we've talked and and with your husband Jeremy and 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 you know that I have a couple of little grandchildren and you're right that is that is the next goal on the horizon is being able to take them yep. out onto the ice or or in the boat and and enjoy yep. teaching that next generation. So uh, I can definitely appreciate sure. that as well. Yeah. My biggest takeaway from this segment too is, you know, anyone that's listening, whether it's you that have you know the passion for learning more about the outdoors or you have kids or family members that are, you know, maybe expressing an interest, you know, don't be afraid to to take the chance, take the opportunity, get out there, have some fun. And I mean, you've heard from all the segments that we've had so far, the, the life lessons, the memories that you can form uh, ice fishing uh, out on the ice, spending time with family, friends, however it be. But I mean, that's my biggest takeaway. And Kirsten, thanks. Uh, thanks for sharing your story with us. Sure. Absolutely. Well, that'll do it for our podcast for today. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, thank you to Eskimo for uh, sponsoring this podcast. If you guys have any questions for Kyle or myself, feel free to reach out to us on social media. We're more than happy to answer your questions and, and listen to your feedback on the show and provide the content that you guys want to hear. Um, so, again, get out, enjoy fishing, and have a good time. <laughs>